Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the joy of all that you give to us. We thank you for the blessing of children. We thank you for all everything pertaining to life and godliness you have given us in your word. So bless our time even during this hour. We give you ourselves and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we talked about on Mother's Day, we addressed a little bit about the history of Mother's Day. Does anybody have the history of Father's Day? Nobody did their homework, I guess. <laughs> well, let's talk about a little bit about Father's Day and how it came to be. It obviously wasn't the same sentimentality as from Mother's Day. But on July 5th, 1908, a West Virginia church sponsored the nation's first event explicitly in honor of fathers. A Sunday sermon in memory of the 362 men who had died in the previous December's explosions at the Fairmont Coal Company mines in Monongah, West Virginia. But it was a one-time commemoration and not an annual holiday. The next year, a Spokane, Washington's woman named Sonora Smart Dodd, one of six children raised by a widower, tried to establish an official equivalent to Mother's Day for male parents. She went to local churches, the YMCA, shopkeepers, and the government officials to drum up support for her idea. And she was successful. Washington State celebrate the nation's first statewide Father's Day on June 19, 1910. Slowly, the holiday spread, and in 1916, President Wilson honored the day by using telegraph signals to unfurl a flag in Spokane when he pressed a button in Washington, D.C. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged state governments to observe Father's Day. Today, the day honoring fathers is celebrated in the United States on the third Sunday of June. During the 1920s and 1930s, a movement arose to scrap Mother's Day and Father's Day altogether in favor of a single holiday, Parents' Day. <laughs> Where did that go? Every year on Mother's Day, pro-Parents' Day groups rallied in New York City. Central Park, a public reminder, said Parents' Day activists and radio performer Robert Speary that both Parents should be loved and respected together. Paradoxically, however, the Great Depression derailed this effort to combine and decommercialize the holidays. Struggling retailers and advertisers redoubled their efforts to make Father's Day a second Christmas for men, promoting such goods as neckties, hats, socks, pipes, and tobacco, golf clubs, and other sporting goods, and greeting cards. And so there you go. That is the history on Father's Day. So today I'm going to be doing a little different message. It's kind of been encouraged by my precious blessings. I did this message some years ago, and it is on, we're going to come back to our series on heaven Lord willing, back in July, we're, we're not finished, so don't think we are. <laughs> we're going to go into this, um, today we're going to be speaking on the dad as an encourager. Malachi 4.6, God says he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. He's talking about repentance, and that is what we need today in our homes. We need repentance. We need fathers who are strong men. Do we not? Yes. Ephesians 6.4 says, and fathers, do not provoke your 
children or to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. So how do we encourage our children? One important way, according to Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21, is to avoid being a discouragement to them. Don't provoke to anger and don't exasperate. Provoke, that word provoke, it's the word that means to excite or to stimulate in the negative sense. Thus carries the idea of to irritate. Since it is in the present tense, this is a warning. The dads must strive to heed continually, day by day, in every life situation. Anger. A dad must not, a dad must, should say, at times, oppose his children. This opposition may provide, this opposition may provoke moments of resistance from the child in obvious displeasure on his part. But this is not the anger spoken of in Ephesians 6.4. Instead, the Holy Spirit is referring to parents provoking children to an angry, wrathful, impulsive lifestyle. This anger includes open rebellion and passive resentment like stubbornness, indifference, or apathy. And remember this, although you can be friends with your children, God has primarily called you to be a dad or a father to your children. Exasperate, another strong term which means to cause your child to lose heart, to be discouraged. This word carries the idea of having no spirit, being sullen, listless, or having a discouraged disposition. One of our children would have this type of disposition when they were disappointed or sad, and you could see it all over their body. It would be this is the way the child would be, and you would see this expression being weighed down. So, how do parents provoke anger and act? exasperation in their children. What must dads avoid? Dads can exasperate and provoke children by what they don't do and by what they do. What dads don't do is that they can exasperate and provoke children, not consistently disciplining and instructing their children. In Ephesians 6, 4 again, Keep going back to it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children need the training and teaching that their dad provides. And I don't mean to say that you are to be their Sunday school teacher, you're not to be, um, if some of you um, may be an uncle, but God has called fathers, primarily dads, to be the ones to train and teach their children. And you're not even to push this off on mom. You're being called as the priest of your home, the one who is to provide this type of instruction to your children. Many a days, and we haven't done it here recently, but my boys, we would get together in my office, we would spend some formal time.
time together in discipleship where we would do something. We would do a project such as put together some Legos. We would go through some type of Bible study during this time. And we would also listen to a CD or something during this time. So it was a time of enrichment, a time of fun, a time of growth. So you want to be cultivating those type of things in relationships with your children. And in an important reminder, dads must strive to maintain a proper balance between discipline and instruction. This especially means avoiding two extremes, excessive control and no limits. Excessive control, this is manifested by the creation of too many rules and restrictions. Rules that are pointless or rules that are harsh and too strict. A rare, rarely allowing your child to do something new. You may think their idea is silly or crazy and bizarre, but let them try it. We have a child who likes to discover and would often say, I wonder what would happen if I mix some orange juice with some chocolate milk. Well, it sounds gross, but you you let them explore with those type of things. Or I wonder what would happen if I put this sour Skittle in some water and watch what might happen. Well, I mean, that's all a part of discovery and you want to allow your children to have those type of opportunities. Excessive control can be a problem because of wrong motives for discipline. Hebrews 12.5, let's turn there. Hebrews 12.5, it's a good passage. And I was a little <laughs> taken back this morning. Part of this microphone when we were singing just popped off and I thought, is God trying to tell me? <laughs> just kind of bopped out. Hebrews 12.5. wonderful passage on discipline. Let's actually start in verse 4. Here, the writer of Hebrews says, I see some of you are still turning. I'll let you get there. Hebrews 12, verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, there we have it. There are proper motivations for discipline, and we know that we are to discipline. Proverbs tells us that with the rod, you will spare your child from hell. So it is biblical, regardless of what you may hear from the sociologists, the psychologists, or whoever else. 
it is biblical to discipline and to use the rod. And remember, not every sin your child commits, nor every mistake in judgment he makes will lead to his delinquency down the road. So, in other words, don't cry over spilled milk. If a child spills a glass of milk, it's not the end of the world, is it? Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Another way of stating it, avoid seeking to become the ultimate authority in the life of your child. Instead, show him the importance of learning to follow the Lord according to his own conscience. Remember, we're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still does his work in the life of a child. With that being said, try to teach him or her never to go against his or her conscience. Very important. No limits. Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares his rod, does it say he loves his, his child or his son? No. Hates. He hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. I know my dad must have loved me dearly. First Kings 1.6, and his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? So thus were some of David's problems with his children. There are obvious problems with this approach to parenting. For example, no limits, no humility. We often talk to our children about how important the attitude of humility is. A child who grows up without limits will be arrogant, teach children to identify their pride. Like, we watch often as a family a kid's show, which I don't know if you all watch it. It's called Master Chef Junior. And it's a show about children cooking. And they prepare these incredible meals, and we often watch the ones who are eliminated, and we look at their attitudes. Oh, I got this. I'm going to do, you know, I'm great. You know, this is going to be no problem for me. They're to the ones who get eliminated. Oftentimes, we'll call it out and we'll say, oh, with that type of attitude, because they are looking at their cooking skills, but their attitude goes a long way. So, Always help your children in the area with uh, how they are arrogant or prideful. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? A fall. Exactly. Without limits, there is no humility on the part of a child because foolishness is what? Bound up in the heart of a child. And his heart is depraved, and you will see it played out in greater dimensions. In place of humility, a child who grows up with no limits will be prideful and arrogant, seeing no need for wise counsel. 1 Kings 1.5, David's son Adonijah had just said, I will be king. He had always ruled his own life, so now it was, was time to rule others as well. So there was David's sons. Proverbs 11.29 says, he who troubles his, how, his own house will inherit wind. David's failure was to discipline his children. Wrong reasons, so you want to also cultivate in your children a love for the child, cultivate holiness, and training toward the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We have hanging on the wall in our kitchen the nine fruit of the Spirit. They're spoons that have each one of the fruit of the Spirit on them. And we have have identified even to go so far as just as a game in our fun for our family, 
I will be the one to spoon for love, Lucretia's joy, Sarah's peace, John's patience, Josiah's kindness, Hannah's goodness, Lydia's faithfulness, Naomi is gentleness, and Noah is self-control. So it's all a way you can do some fun things in your family, ways to identify and to be able to graft in those different aspects of the fruit of the spirit. And wrong reasons for developing rules and attempting to excessively control our children. But you may have, as we have in our home, a list of family rules. I mean, it is nothing that is unbiblical. Actually, all of them are biblical. And I thought I had a copy. But I, I will be able to maybe share those, some of those things with you later. Elevating preferences over biblical principle. Remember, these are just preferences and not what the Bible says. For, for instance, you may prefer your child not to eat on the couch. And you don't want to enforce that as so much of a rule that you are lording it over the child. Because remember, it still is property. This is property. It is a piece of property. So don't be so demanding that you're like the Pharisees and you're putting your preferences above what the word of God says. We can have our preferences. It's nothing wrong with that. And we do have our preferences. And like I said, there are family rules. There are things that you do in your home. But just be careful about exalting all of those things above what the word of God says the principle is. If you are enforcing too many of your preferences or neglecting to teach biblical principles as the child matures, then preferential rules may be perceived in the mind of the child as excessive control. And this can lead to exasperation or despair. Laziness. Fathers can oftentimes exhibit this themselves. Just saying no or not doing what you should do. Putting off what you know to do is right. And I know we live in a world where, you know, we have a lots and lots to do and we have, we're busy, but we can't neglect what is most important. And I always say, it's people over things. You don't want to prioritize things, your projects, whatever you have going over people. And in this case, the people are your children, which will have long-standing impacts on life to come. Fear. Some dads have a fear of not parenting the right way, so they just don't do it. None of us are perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. So they're afraid of, of parenting their children. And dads may also fear personal embarrassment. So they discipline based on what others may say about them. One who feels embarrassed and lets his parenting be based on what he sees someone else's children does is not parenting the biblical way. God made every one of us different. He made every one of us unique. So all of our parenting is not going to be cookie cutter, exactly the same. And understand that there are mistakes. This is basic to life and immaturity, and it takes time to grow. Dads who understand their own sanctification process, are we in that state? Are we continually growing? Are we continually maturing? Yes, we are. It's day upon day we are growing. So remember, we're all in 
a work of progress. And just remember this. You tell your child often enough, you, they may come to you, Dad, can you do this with me? Dad, will you sit down and read me this? Dad, can we do this together? And you say, no, I don't have time for that. I'm working on, you know, this business deal I have. No, I don't have time to read to you because uh, I have something else. And you tell them that time and time again. And you know what? Eventually, they may stop coming to you and asking you to do something with them. It's critical and important that you take that time to spend because, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, it's not so much the quantity, but it's the quality, but, well, it's both. It is that you are there. And, you know, oftentimes it's not even that you have to be actively engaged with your children's dad. It, it just may be that you're there with them. I work from home. I have an office upstairs. <laughs> Pretty much I'm there all day, and the door is closed. The children know that, and there's a thing on my door that says, you know, if I'm on the phone, do not disturb, or I can turn it over. And But oftentimes they'll come in, and they'll know when I'm working, and, and they'll just come in and sit because they just want to be there. Not that we're engaging in any conversation, but it's just time being spent. Very important. So respect and relationship equals potential discipleship. So we talked about not maintaining involvement with the child's life. This includes neglecting or ignoring them. Time and effort are important. And, and let me say this, I already said it once, but, but don't put off these type of things to your wife either. Don't push them off to your wife. It's your responsibility as a dad. God has called you to be the one who is to be the leader of your home, who is to be the priest of your home. So don't push those type of things off and say, well, you know, she needs to do this or she'll do it. No, sir, you need to. Deuteronomy 6-7 demonstrates active involvement with your child. <clears throat> Children love being with you, um, going to the store with you, just just you know, just taking those opportunities. It doesn't have to be anything, just taking a ride, you know, with them. And, and try to do it if you have multiple children individually at different times to have that special time with them. You take them to the store, you have a different conversation with them. You may find out different things, and particularly with twins, you know, <laughs> they don't always think exactly alike. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I have to take them individually and see, oh, oh, well, I was, you know, what, what would you like to do? What, what are you thinking about in this particular area? And, you know, oftentimes they think a lot. I mean, for, I mean, and sometimes it's almost identical, but still, I just want to hear what their thoughts are, you know, what things are different. And, and take time to really be with them, to engage with them and not just to be there when you're there. Be all in. Be all in with them. Um, and, and I get it. Like I said, I know, you know, you, you have studies, you have work to do, you have a lot of different things to do. And it's not saying that you're never going to miss a game, you're never going to miss, you know, a certain school event. But for the most part, if you can, it is important that a dad be there as well. Don't just let, you know, wife or mom be the one to do it. So encourage your, your child or children by spending time with them. And caution your children to examine how strongly they hold to their opinions. It's good for them to work through their opinions and to bring the word of God to bear on their, their thoughts. Remember, opinions are good, but they should never take priority over 
the word of God because we can all have opinions and that's why I don't want to come to you even when I preach giving you my opinion because I can have an opinion you can have an opinion somebody else can have an opinion but whose opinion is most important it's God's it was, it's what, what God says so help everything that they do to sift through the word of God and to bear upon um, what the word of God says. And some of us, you know, quite frankly, have stronger opinions than others. <laughs> but still, uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, I have a brother who's very opinionated. And <laughs> but um, that doesn't mean he's always right. <laughs> so no limits, no cleansing of the conscience. Proverbs 20, 30. Stripes that wounds squirt every evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. The correction of biblical discipline cleanses the conscience and provides a valuable illustration of the concept of just payment. A child understands justice. Discipline helps your son or daughter to see the seriousness of their sin and to see that Christ paid for their sin on the cross. It also lets the child know that Christ suffered pain on the cross for their sins, and we need to confess our sins before God. I always tell my children after they have gotten a boom boom, and they know even beforehand that before they are going to get their boom boom, that normally, you all recognize these, I'm sure, we go through something in this book. This is called Proverbs for Parenting. And it goes through Proverbs and it goes through all of the Proverbs and lists them out about wisdom and instruction. They're for girls. There's sections on pride, sections on control of the mouth. Lying is a big one. We do not allow that. Absolutely not. Cut that. Whatever you have to do. Lying is huge. Do not allow it. So that we do not allow under any circumstances. Respect of parents. And then this book on teach them diligently. It goes through different passages and how to correct with the scriptures. I would commend both of these fine books to you. The one on Proverbs for parenting and teach them diligently. But you want to make sure that you are correcting and drawing your, your child back to the word of God. If there are no limits, your child's conscience will become hardened. Psalm 32 indicates that when sin is not dealt with, one become, can become angry, irritable, depressed, or even excessively sorrowful. Don't miss events in their lives, like I said, as a um, regular pattern. And also, make some special moments and traditions with your children. We've, we have several of those um, fun nights. We have, um, we have birthdays. We have on birthdays. We have a special birthday plate that they eat on. On, on Fridays, normally, we have a family night where we have pizza and we have tacos or watch a movie. We play games or have lots of family traditions. Uh, during Valentine's Day, we read through 1 Corinthians 13 on love, and we have 14 hearts that all identify different aspects of love and what love is leading up to Valentine's Day. So we have traditions for Easter time. Uh, it's called Messiah Mystery. We go through 40 days before Easter. We have all these readings and the resurrection eggs leading up to resurrection day during Christmas which if anyone who, who, who doesn't really know me are you would know if you don't know this about me you would know that I love Christmas I mean that's one thing when Lucretia and I got married she calls me Christopher Christmas because that's how much I, lo I love Christmas so during Christmas, we have a various amount of activities and traditions we do during Advent leading up to Advent. Um, 
proclamation ornaments. Um, we have um, birthday cake for Jesus. We have um, just so many. Um, we have, um, I, I named the ornaments, but we have different, and it gets added on every year. We have something new during Christmas time, a new event, probably because there's something I found. <laughs> but <laughs> we just, we, the, the, when people ask us about Christmas time, we say, yeah, we celebrate Jesus' birthday. It's long before the actual day of his birthday. Believe you me, it's every day leading up, way before that time. We're celebrating his birthday, for sure. So the children would know what that day is about. Not, I mean, of course, they get the gifts and all those things, but they know that the pinnacle of that day is Jesus' birth, God coming in human flesh. So we talked about also not listening to your child, uh, not paying attention, not letting them finish talking. Proverbs 18.13 talks about this. Proverbs 18.15-17, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Dads must provide times for their children to speak, ask their opinions on things, on what to do watch what to do. You know, even when you go somewhere, it doesn't mean you're going to do that based on what they say. But give them an opportunity to impart their opinion about where we should go or what we should do. Just to be able to listen to them. And what dads do that can provoke and exasperate their children is being an angry person yourself. Dad. Do not. Don't be an angry person. And that's what helps me. Like I said, I have to do this a lot of times before I discipline. It helps me because I have to calm myself down. I have to, you know, get in a, a spirit of, you know, I have to really reflect. And so it helps when you go through this yourself. You don't want to discipline in anger. You absolutely do not want to do that. This anger can be obvious or overt. Scripture speaks much about sinful anger. Proverbs 19, 19, anger bears a penalty and is repetitive. Proverbs 23, anger is foolish. Any fool will quarrel. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, anger is a bad example. Don't associate with angry people. <laughs> do you want to be around angry people? I don't. I don't like being around angry people. Dads must never discipline in sinful anger. Avoid abusive words or tone or voice. Ephesians 4, 26-32, discipline in sinful anger can certainly lead to physical abuse. This is discipline with selfish motives. Subtle anger, this can be called grouchiness or irritability. A certain a cartoon illustrated it this way. The boss is grouchy to his employee who in turn comes home and is ir irritable with the children. His son in turn kicks the dog. The dog runs down the street and bites the first person he sees and that first person he sees is none other than the boss. This sinful anger includes a critical spirit, constant fault finding, a constant reign of criticism. Example, you always keep the top off the toothpaste. You never sweep the floor. These are extremes. We know that there is not always, it's not never. Be a thermostat not a thermometer when it comes to the situations in your life. What I mean by that is that the thermometers only react to the environment they are in, right? They go up and down depending on the environment. Thermostats you control can be set up or down. And I'm sure these days we're pushing it down. <laughs> your family is affected by your own sour attitudes. You can't encourage your child if you're usually angry. Don't allow your moods to dictate your actions. 
You can't be encouraging if you're constantly angry. Although we are not perfect, our moods should be more and more like Christ. You don't want your child to ever say, I wanted to ask you something, but you were in a bad mood. You don't want that to happen. You want your child always to be inviting. Our children know, tell them anytime, any hour, that's even after you all leave and go off wherever you're going, our doors will always be open. Any time, any hour, call, come by. That was the way it was at our house. I had a key. I still have a key to my mom's house. Open door policy. You're able to go and come. Exaggerating. Proverbs 12, 22 I mean, Ephesians 4.29. This is especially a problem in regards to the child's behavior for it's a form of deceit, adding to the truth. So, just like I just mentioned, when you say you never do anything right, I've told you a million times. You have? A million? Really? No, you haven't. Instead, look for their successes and encourage them. Your children should hear thank you and a good job. And, and let me just say this. As often as you can, give a shout out. We, we gather our family around. and we, I mean, It could be something simple. Oh, they got all their multiplication facts. Everybody gather around. Let's give a shout out to whoever it is because they did a great job. When they ha have been rewarded for something, kudos. Let's, let's we all get together and we say, great job. And give them those constant encouragements. Living vicariously through your children. Pushing your children to play basketball because you always wanted to play basketball. But for whatever reason you didn't, so you're pushing them that way to play the piano because you really wanted to pay, play the piano, but you couldn't. Don't do that. James 3.16, don't allow yourself to be motivated by selfish ambitions. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, consider others more important than yourself. Parents can put unrealistic expectations on the performance of their children. Sports, honor roll, whatever. I remember when we were engaging in thinking about doing the National Bible Bee, and we thought it was way too much for our children to do, to memorize thousands of verses, Bible verses. I thought, this is crazy. And we both Christian and I both said, you know, this is, but we had to allow for the Lord to work because this was something the children were so excited and still are to this day, very excited about it. And we were not wanting them to do it because of our limitations. So don't put limitations on them because of your limitations, because God could be doing something incredibly wonderful and he has through the National Bible Bee. And we would never have known that had we not gone through with it. Romans 5.8 talks about Christ's example of sacrifice for other, others is our motto to follow in not living for selfish interests. Pressure you put on your children can discourage them, humiliating them. Ephesians 4.29, use words that give grace, not words that put down. It is seldom edifying to excessively scold your children and never edify them and never yell at them in front of people. And this goes for not only husbands and dads, for your wives. Never do that. Never publicly put your wife down. Don't do it, ever. Don't do that. Don't embarrass them in front of family members. Humor that might bring them down, not build them up. Be careful about using sarcasm or making fun of your children. Young children especially know when you are trying to make fun of them. Point being, you'll often hear me when, I, when in a sermon, I'll say this child or that particular child. I don't name the child because I'm not going to put one of the children in that type of a light regardless what might have happened. So that's why I'll say, oh, there was a child who did such and such. This will encourage them to trust you. Living hypocritically, Matthew 23, 3, talks about that, Isaiah 29, 13, Luke 6, 46, Titus 1, 6, 
Parents are not called upon to be perfect. We're not. But we must have a level of integrity visible to your children. Seek with God's help to avoid examples of hypocrisy, like an unwillingness to admit when you're wrong, because we'll tell them, you know, we make mistakes too. We're not perfect. We have things that we're, we need to work on. We have all of these issues. Proverbs 28, 13 talks about this. Destructive pride, Proverbs 16, 18, and Proverbs 18, 12. Lying, a pattern of commitments not kept. Proverbs 12, 22, 19, 5. And that's another thing. When you tell your children you're going to do something, do it or try to do it. Or this is what our children would often hear at our home, and they probably get sick of hearing it. When they ask us to do something, what do we normally say to them? We normally say, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. We will do such and such. And they'll say, oh, are we going to, can we do Lord willing? So if the Lord's will then we will do it. So that's a way to make sure that you're keeping record. Because all of these things destroy trust instead of encouraging your children and admitting to them when you make mistakes or you're wrong. As far as keeping your word, we have a child who will say to us or have said, Papa, you did say this. I remember you said that, you said that you would take me on such and such. I did, Papa, you did say that. And so children do listen, they do remember, and they are very persistent. We have some children who are very persistent, and they will say to us, will you, can we, and if you don't give them an answer, they say, well, can we go tomorrow? Can we go the next day? Can we go next week? Can we do, and they'll keep on. So they're very persistent. Changing rules. Um, first off, be predictable in your commitments and promises, morality and ethics. Walk the walk and talk the talk. Don't be one way within the walls of the church building and another way outside the walls of the church building. Changing rules. Matthew 15, 9 talks about that. James 1, 17. Malachi 3, 6. Rules may need to change based upon environments context, age of the children, but changing rules without a stated cause can exasperate a child. I remember when we were, when we had babies and, and we would go through parenting, we had certain things and we would often bring our children into church with us even when they were small. But when the children were there and they got so loud and we couldn't keep them under control, we took them out of church because we wanted to be respectful of other people who were there and not infringe upon. So even though you may you know, want to have your rules and do things, there has to be a time when things change. Inconsistency leads to frustration for children. Make sure your children are absolutely clear on what you expect and what is right to do or what is wrong. Being unjust. Proverbs 11.1, 1, God hates injustice of any kind. James 2.9, please, 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 I don't know how to say this or how many ways I can say this. Avoid favoritism. Avoid it at any cost. This includes comparing your children to other children. People will tell me, I mean, they tried to lock me into this. Which one is your favorite? They, they often will, will just off the cuff. Which one? They all are. I mean, they're different. I'm, you're not going to corner me into having me say that one of my children are favorites. I was never, there were seven of us. That's the way my parents treated us. We all felt like we were favorites. That's how your children should feel. And that is what we strive to do in parenting. Expecting injustice includes never rewarding. Give praise where it is due. Expecting perfection. First Thessalonians 5.14. Be patient with all men. Perfectionism is different than pursuing excellence. We want to teach our children the importance of living up to the abilities God has given them. That is striving for excellence but we are not all alike. Some people are more gifted than others. So it is very frustrating to a child to think he has to be perfect or that he has to live up to a standard which he is not able to meet. I consider all children gifted. They're gifted. Our children are gifted in different ways, some memories, some musically, some artistically. 
It is very sad when a, a child thinks nothing he or she does pleases his or her parents. There can also be performance-based love. This is when one only shows approval when the child lives up to your standards you have made. This is just like the Pharisees who kept adding their standards to the true law of God. You have to really guard against this and allow them to fail. Uh, Lucretia was just talking to one of our good friends this past week, and she was talking about her children when they were in the high school ministry that I was a part of. And she was saying how they compared one of the people who was on staff at the church had compared her with her sister. Her sister was very outgoing, very involved, very kind. And she said, you will never be like your sister, so-and-so. That is a horrible thing to say. Horrible. So we're either building up or tearing down the relationship with our children, a relationship that can last a lifetime. Being a dad is a great responsibility, but can, it can also be a great blessing. Even in a Christian home, we find families torn apart simply because there is no relationship of encouragement between a parent and a child. Our children are just like us. They need to be challenged, but they also need the encouragement that their dads can give them. As adults, we have similar frustrations in our own walk when we go over and over the same failure. Do we not? We have failures. We may at times go before the Lord in a sense of hopelessness, thinking, Lord, when would this end? How can I get over this problem? It's the same in a home. As a child makes a mistake, dads should be gentle yet firm, moving in their life into discipline and instruction. A dad is consistent in this, and a child will be encouraged. But if a dad acts in a manner that fosters hopelessness, the child will become to the same place the parent does in his own personal life. There is one failure after another, and we think there is no place to go. In that perspective, leads to anger, despair, and resentment. Do your actions and words make the heart of your child's dad glad in the midst of distress? Do they build, you, build up or do they tear down with the result that you, you trouble your home? Dads often fret about the evils of society outside their homes when often the most destructive force brought upon their family comes from within, from their own words and deeds. And right action with the, with the wrong attitude can negate the effectiveness of labor. One may actually strive to be a biblical dad, but with the wrong attitude he can ambush his own efforts, causing his child to be unnecessarily resentful, angry, and rebellious. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own words. This is referring to building of a house. How can you build a house if you do not cultivate an atmosphere where mistakes are not the end of the world? Instruction and discipline must be carried out in a home where parents are particularly dads, are encouragers. So choose to be an encouraging dad, please. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. May you continue to grow us in your grace and knowledge and help us to be the godly dads you have called us to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.